0: Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. I'm Matt.
1: I'm Crystal. I'm Vera.
0: I'm Sylvia. And this week, we are going to be looking at Chapter 7 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Sorting Hat. But before we get started, I want to remind you, as always, you can send your comments and questions to us at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We always love hearing from our podcast listeners. Uh, And if you're lucky and have an intriguing comment or question, uh, we just may feature you on an upcoming broadcast of the Harry Potter Book Club. Well, gang, uh, with Chapter 7, the door swung open at once. A tall black-haired witch in emerald green robes stood there. She had a very stern face, and Harry's first thought was that this was not someone to cross. And he was right. He, He was definitely right. Just ask Severus Snape in Book 7. Mm-hmm. This lady is not someone to mess with.
1: Not to mention those four like, stunning spells to the chest when she... is mm-hmm. right. When it takes, like, what, five to kill a dragon or stun mm-hmm. a dragon? She took four.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, here she goes again, Joe. like, just establishing a character very quickly. Like, yeah. all we hear is, like, she's someone that you shouldn't cross, but, like, she's got a stern face, and it's like, okay, don't cross her, but... Like, she's established almost quickly as someone who's, like, a really good teacher. Like, that's how I picture somebody mm-hmm. who's, you know, fair, but maybe that's not... How yeah, authoritarian. Like, yeah. a good authority. Definitely.
2: Yeah.
0: Maggie Smith does not have black hair. She does not. Mm-hmm. Yet again, a physical description in the books that is very easy to overlook yeah. if you only have movie actors in mind.
3: She's very McGonagall, though. I, I feel like Maggie Smith does an awesome job portraying McGonagall, mm-hmm. but she has yeah. been, you know, 90 since the 70s, and so <laughs> they just couldn't, you know, make her look younger than she was. That's
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> that, Maggie. <laughs> well, I mean. It's, it's accurate.
1: accurate.
4: She's in Hook, right? She
3: yeah. She's in Hook. She's in Hook as Grandma Wendy, yes. which was from the... 80s, early 90s. What Nine, is that? 90s. 90s, early yeah. 90s. I mean, yeah. Okay, yeah. Rob, I'm Rob
4: Williams was like a baby.
3: Anyway. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I feel like. Rest in peace. I feel like McGonagall is very quickly established, like you said.
1: She's very no nonsense. I mm-hmm. feel like.
4: And her, she's another one where her name very immediately identifies her. I mean, Minerva, the god, the Roman goddess of wisdom and war, mm-hmm. both somebody who is going to to give you a lot of great insight, and at the same time, can be some of you down. exactly yeah. right.
5: And it's also that alliteration that Rowling loves: Minerva McGonagall, Severus Snape. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got just a, a bevy of alliterations.
2: Yeah.
3: And then we start to see the inside of Hogwarts. Um, she takes them into, into the entry hall.
6: I mean it's yeah I mean it is a castle and you know I mean we definitely get that sense with you're walking down a corridor you know lit with torches Yeah um I mean and and you I mean the the hallway is grand it's vast you know and you've got the marble staircases and, and
3: Harry says the ceiling is too high to make out
6: Yeah <laughs> so you know where i mean at least for harry he's stepping into a place that's larger than life like this is this is something that is going to blow his mind i guess
1: i like this idea too that like all of the first years are standing there together nervously and she even says like They're closer than they maybe normally would have stood together. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and then she says, and we're going to sort you into your houses. So before they're sorted, they're this like one big community Mm -hmm. of people who are all united under this one thing. And it's that they're all very nervous and don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to sort them. And I think that maybe later we could tie that in, into like where, where Dumbledore, in the chapter the princess Tell where Dumbledore is looking at Snape and he's like, maybe we sort too early. So mm-hmm. it's like all of these people are under one mantle right now and we, we don't know anything about them except that they're all really frightened. And now we're going to sort them and let them like find their identity within their house. So it's this last moment of unity among them. And yet
0: again, the first time reader like the first year students is ignorant as to what the sorting ceremony actually requires. Mm -hmm. We're told that they will be uh, sorted uh, and it will take place in front of the rest of the school. And the question from Ron hangs in the air, how exactly do they sort us into houses? And Fred apparently told him some sort of test. So now we've got first year students huddling together in this totally new environment. Knowing they're about to go in front of the rest of the school, thinking that they're going to be tested on something that they have no capacity or knowledge for currently. And it it just reminded me of first days of school and how horrifying those could be if you added a test of something you didn't know in front of the entire student body to determine your fate and your position for the rest of your time there. Almost unbearable. Uh, This description that Harry's heart gives a horrible jolt uh, rings true to life there.
6: Well, he's thinking, I'm getting ready to be tested. And I mean, I'm sure it's not only him, but it's uh, other children that were perhaps even raised by muggles that are thinking... I don't know any magic, you know, like I I don't, and Harry especially, he doesn't know anything about this world, he's just getting into it, so it's got to be terrifying for him, obviously.
1: And he uses concepts of magic that he's learned from the Muggle world, like maybe i yeah. will have to pull a rabbit oh, out, right. of a hat. out of a hat, that seems like the sort of thing, I mean, right. that's the only concept of magic he really has.
0: It's interesting though, again, uh, and this has been a theme in our read through of Sorcerer's Stone*. Um, but knowing the sorting hat to be a Hogwarts institution is easy to forget that the space between learning they will be sorted and that the sorting takes place with a hat, that space is full of anxiety mm-hmm. and fear. Mm-hmm. I remember reading through this and being like, I, I forgot that they don't know about the sorting hat yet. Mm-hmm. And they're living in this fearful ignorance about what is what is around the corner? Like Because we've already established... Hogwarts is going to surprise you. Letters are going to find you, even when you run away. Uh, You've got to go through brick walls. Um, You know, from Harry's perspective, Hogwarts is a totally unpredictable context. So no fear is too big to be believed in this moment for a first year student, especially one who has no familiarity with Hogwarts.
1: And the trio sort of like they all interpret what's coming in their own sort of ways like harry is filled with anxiety and self-doubt about this thing that he's about to do ron's like fred says it was some sort of test that's going to hurt a lot but i think he was joking so it's like if my brothers did it i'll be fine i can handle it and hermione is like reciting all of these things she's learned she's like okay what am what am i going to need what am i going to need i love that all three of them are like stepping into their characters or what we're going to learn about their characters as this first test is coming. Mm -hmm.
6: But while they're thinking about all that, we get introduced to about 20 ghosts, it (laughs) says. Uh, We only meet and get the names of a few of them, but what did you guys think about those, the, the ghosts?
2: I think
3: it's so interesting. and Like, somebody, somebody, several people behind Harry scream when the ghosts show up. So I think that even in the wizarding world, ghosts are kind of a rarity, it yeah. feels like, to me. You know, it's not something that you would see, like, at home. Like, probably there's very few personal residences that have a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um,
6: well, Hogwarts has been around for a right, long time. Right, for a long time. time.
3: You don't and see it's ghosts a huge, in Diagon Alley. You right, you don't it's see a huge them. institution. And so mm. I think there's something unique about Hogwarts and maybe other, you know, places that have been around for a really long time that there's you know this accumulation of spirits there
2: yeah
1: and sir nicholas is wearing like a neck rough, a rough yeah so that speaks to you know yeah. shakespeare's age almost right
3: and the friar yeah. right the fat friar we meet i, I may Bloody be mistaken Gary. but
0: i think they do say 400 years ago mm-hmm. uh um. Yeah. So he says I haven't eaten in 500 500 years. Five hundred. Yeah, okay, so well, even Shakespeare longer. was around <laughs> around that area. Ish.
3: But yeah, it's I I think that is something that would have been jarring even to the the witches and wizard children, not just the Mongolborns. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: I do. One question I've had a lot lately is envisioning like what does Peeves look like since we don't mm-hmm. see him in the movies, but. We kind of get here that Peeves isn't a ghost. And that's something the first time I read it, I didn't even think about that Like, or go Mm -hmm. back to it. I just assumed Peeves was another ghost. But he's different. He's a a poltergeist, right? Yeah. And we don't get a lot of information about that, except we know he's different and he's obnoxious and kind of hard to control. But the Bloody Baron is the only one who can control him.
1: I think in another podcast, maybe it was like the Entertainment Weekly podcast, I can't remember we were, I remember them saying like, they they interviewed um, David Yates, I think, and they had like a a, when they were thinking they were going to put Peeves in the first movie, they did like a sketch of him and so they were thinking of like Releasing that sketch, so, because people have asked, them, like, "Okay, he wasn't in the movies? So what does mm-hmm. he look like? How did you all imagine him?" And they want to put like a picture to it. So I, I really hope that they mm-hmm. do that. Well, be really cool. I mean, he's at the beginning of this chapter. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That oh, little that's picture. Peeves?
2: Oh, that yes. Oh, like, yeah. I really. He's holding the walking stick. because I, oh.
0: I looked at that drawing I as thought I, be I started way this scarier. chapter, and I said, "I cannot for the life of me." <laughs> It's peace with
3: Hawkingstone.
0: He's got curly
5: little is. shoes. Well okay, that's not But why why does he, he have like, pointy yeah. ears and long eyebrow hair? Hmm. I
4: think that's a great question. He's I mean such a, a goblin he's,
5: he's
6: different. He's uh, he's yeah he's
0: goblin guys.
3: I mean, I always pictured him like that because that's the illustration well, I was given. That I, was was so, <laughs> I was so smart of you because well, I just was like, oh, yeah. natural
5: right creature, there, baby. Got I don't, what I don't know I what on.
0: Thieves looks like, but I know he does not look like that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I so read this page once they're published.
3: They're not a Thieves, so.
2: That's
5: yeah,
4: good. and the, time, the language isn't super helpful emails, either.
5: Let us have a view of that picture, please.
4: I think that like to use the term poltergeist when like, geist, is like the German word for ghost, and like polter is just somebody that makes disturbances or like messes things up. Like I understand it totally fits his character because he messes things up all the time, but it doesn't really distinguish him from being a ghost very well.
3: Like a subtype almost, just like like. a ghoul. But they're saying he's not one. He's not a ghost. That's another textbook we need.
4: One thing that did bother me with the naming of the ghosts is there's this there's the frat, fat friar, and it didn't really quite occur to me before. But what is a friar doing? A member of like the Dominican or the Franciscan religious orders participating in witchcraft? Witchcraft. I mean, that's like pretty. I don't know. I think that's a pretty explicit prohibition from those <laughs> orders. <laughs> like you don't mess around with like, I don't know. It's just, it's it's just like when, you know, people make comments like good Lord or something else like that. It's like, what, what do you worship? What, what is the, what is the, what is the religion in the Harry Potter world? And what sense do they try to make of the divine or whenever they use um, the Godfather, right? Um, That uh, Padfoot is Harry's Godfather. It's like, well, what... How did that happen? Was Harry baptized? Where was he <laughs> baptized? What church was he baptized? You know, did, when he writes to Severus, uh, is he ever... I mean, not Severus, to um, Sirius. Serious. Is he ever, like... You know, did, uh, you know, uh, Ron and I are struggling over the debate of 2 Corinthians 13. You know, could you help us to understand, like, what's going on here in your spiritual wisdom? No, I mean, you never hear about this. He's not, I don't know. That's
3: just very, like, loose, vague conventions of the church Mm -hmm. that are pulled in. Things that we would recognize from our lives. I,
4: I get that, but I just i, I, know. I feel yeah. like there should be more there. Yeah. This is a whole culture that has this, mm-hmm. obviously, a very interesting interaction with, it's with something... spirits and mystical items, but at the same time, like...
5: No religion. Tolkien no religion. wouldn't do that. Tolkien was too cautious. And she was more, I think, just going with the flow, maybe.
0: It is interesting that we see wizards interacting with all sorts of dimensions of Muggle culture, and which are human culture and yet only the vaguest sort of I, I like that vague conventions of religion I think mm-hmm. enough to keep the the mystique yeah and the um the almost magical aura in popular conceptions of religion um without diving into the metaphysics the details and the the claims that any religious system would make.
2: Yeah.
6: Well, we finally get introduced uh, into the great hall, which I loved the description that they gave on page one sixteen. Um, just you're going in there. There's thousands and thousands of candles, four tables. There's uh, glittering golden plates and goblets, and the the ceiling is. Uh, I mean, just a velvet star-like canvas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is a beautiful picture. And again, I thought that the movie did a fantastic job mm-hmm. um, in recreating this scene.
1: Yeah. Fun fact: In the movie, they were all real candles
6: that were lit what?
5: until Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. we went to the, the We went to tour the studio, and then they said the wax was dripping down on mm-hmm. people's shoulders. Sorry. Was, no, I, was I, I was stealing? You. But so they transferred to digital at some point. I'm sorry, but how mm.
1: cool though? Like that, the first that scene of it—they're like real candles mm-hmm. lit. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. And it's so warm and cozy. Like when you go in, it just feels like home. I feel like when you when you see that first picture of it, it's like
5: it's just so inviting. I would love to get to wake up and go down to the Great Hall every morning. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, just sounds so nice. I mean, in, just wake up really. and walk down to this amazing hall. Like, I don't care how bad the homework is. I mean,
2: take me to
1: Hogwarts. That's what I
2: have to say. Story of my life. Yeah.
4: Well, the death rate's a little high. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, having a great breakfast is wonderful, but at the same time, like...
0: Yeah. We're going to be warned that if you transgress a certain rule at the end of this chapter, you will die a very painful death. Mm -hmm. So... Enjoy the sausage links. (laughs) Well,
3: if there's seven different types of sausage links, it might be worth it.
1: Seven is a very magical number, (laughs) after all.
3: (laughs) So then we meet the sorting hat, and it starts to talk. Extremely
6: dirty sorting hat. It's been used who knows how long. Right,
1: since Gryffindor started Hogwarts. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, because it's his hat. And
6: the do we ever find out where hat. the sorting hat actually came from? It's Godric Gryffindon It his hat. is, his that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, sorry for that mental lapse. In, laugh. in oh, one was. of in one of his um, sorting songs, he says, "And Godric whipped me off his back. head," and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah.
4: So was it talking? Before it became that's like, probably not. Hat. I think okay. he enchanted it to do. He job. put right.
1: brains in him. That's yeah. what he. The song The like, Sorting Hat sings. That song that yeah. Godric Gryffindor whipped him off his head and put brains in him so that he could sort them. Yeah. Instead.
3: Hmm. I love. I love how he speaks in mostly hat-based puns. That makes me really happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that he rhymes. It's. It's nice. Do you think
4: that's look a choice to the sorting that song. the hat is making, or do you think that that's like part of the way that he was enchanted? To
6: sing?
1: Well, according yeah. to Ron, he has the whole year to do nothing but yeah. think of a yeah, new but song. Yeah, think of a song. So.
6: That's the way I kind of thought He's of being it. Clever. Is, yeah, he is thinking of songs, because, I mean, if you got to make up a new song every year, you know,
4: for I don't know how many, I mean, we know at least 500 or so. The kids aren't going to remember after, like, you know, you can reuse song 77, you know, after... Because then it's like the great, great, great but it's like kid. an
5: intellectual activity. I, I think, yeah, the yeah. Sort
4: of like cat has more integrity
6: than that. He wants oh. to uh, actually. Wow. And reflect what? the times
5: because we see in one of the books hat. he starts yeah. warning people, like, stick stay close a to, a to your out. friends. Yeah. 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 So he he, he's hat, politically relevant.
6: He has a, a hat, but he caps them all. You must remember that. Mm. Oh, all right. caps them all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love, I'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me. That makes me really happy. I'll eat my hat if you can.
6: Yeah, it's a pretty funny song. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that.
0: It's also a song that lets us stop guessing about yes. the, the character of the, that of the defines ceremony. each house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd love for us to take some time uh, and look into the character of each house. And then I'm curious about what house each of us belongs to. Okay. Mm-hmm. So first let let's let's begin with Gryffindor. They're defined by bravery, courage, daring, nerve, and chivalry. Basically, these are the people who don't let fear get in the way of doing what they believe needs to be done.
3: Crickets. <laughs> They sure are. Yeah, I
5: blacked out for a second. No, excuse <laughs> me. That's the wrong word. This I, is not that kind of I didn't listeners. hear anything, <laughs> and then I just heard silence. What was the question? <laughs> We're talking just talking about, about Gryffindors. It. I'm about
0: helpful point here. It is um,
5: absolutely worth keeping.
6: No. Yeah, with uh, <laughs> do you want me to go ahead and start? Yeah, go ahead. Go. Ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um. Yeah. I mean with. Of course, everybody wants to be the Gryffindor. You know, after uh, Harry not Hermione. And Ron- not of course, everyone. not everybody. Not everybody wants to be Gryffindor. Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, but the but the bandwagon people all want to be Gryffindors yeah, because that's well. Some of us get sorted into that house and well, we can't help it. Okay. Um,
0: you have courage just exuding from <laughs> every or every every pore
6: every pore. But yeah, and daring. I mean, we do we tearing. do see that. Um, you know, there's daring, nerve, chivalry. I mean, they're generally a, a, a brave bunch. And, uh, I mean, even though Harry doesn't think it yet, um, of course, throughout every single book, he shows extreme bravery. But he also shows, I mean, many characteristics. I mean, you see overlapping of uh, of a lot of this. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in here. I mean, I, I know we're going to talk about, I guess, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, all these. Uh, but I, I feel like at some point, you can point Harry... You know, he exhibits all of the
4: characteristics of all these houses um, at some point, even Slytherin. So, it seems to me like these are more aspirational aims rather than simply descriptive terms. It's it's more that the people in Gryffindor aspire to be Mm. daring and courageous above all things than that they are only this, or that they are most necessarily exhibiting that. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I mean, especially when I, when I think about Hermione, I, I don't always think that she exhibits most clearly daring or bravery as much as she often exhibits wit and cleverness and some of the other features of Ravenclaw. But I think it is clear throughout the books, you, you see that she aspires to become this more daring, courageous person.
3: Like Neville.
4: Neville's another great example, right? He starts out with nothing. Yeah. And um, he he desires more than anything to be like his parents.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. I think they're values. I mean, they're things that the founders of each of these houses valued above the other things. So I think you're right that they're aspirations, but they're values as well, like things that somebody might... I think that being brave is the most important thing, or I think you know studying is the most important thing, and being wise is the most important thing, or I think getting ahead, like ambition, is the most important thing. And but I, I do think just back to like Harry, Ron, and Hermione, especially though they do maybe exhibit all characteristics of other houses, when it comes down to it, those other characteristics still point them back to their bravery. Like I think of, I mean Hermione's most obviously like Ravenclaw, but I think Ron is like borderline Slytherin. I mean, especially when you consider where he comes from and like his background and like when we get into book seven, when he, you know, deserts Harry, I mean, he deserts Harry and part, part of that is definitely the, locket. the the locket that he's wearing, the Horcrux. But the other part of it is this jealousy that's built up in it. We've and seen in, it
6: in book four too though. Well, yeah. right.
1: But but book seven is where I'm pointing because it's when the the rift happens when he says something between them broke and that, that line is like, oh, it just stabs you in the heart. But i mean the thing that points him back is always the bravery he's like as soon as he left he realized like i let this other value take place of what i really value which is my friends and bravery and like fighting this battle to defeat evil which was voldemort so i and and hermione like her wit makes her daring because she says i've got all of this cleverness but i've got to use it to defeat evil so all in Harry's probably a little like hufflepuff (laughs) no offense to hufflepuffs in the room (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: Why are you going to laugh say oh my yeah. It's fine. I'm exhibiting that bias for hufflepuffs, yeah. and I love hufflepuffs. Sorry, guys. Uh, um, so much prejudice
3: in this room. Right
0: I know. I already. think that... Like, this conversation helps us see that we sort of have to get past uh, easy definitions yeah. when looking at what the sorting hat sees in people. Because by the end of book one even, Neville Longbottom is clearly vindicated mm-hmm. as a Gryffindor. Uh, even uh, Dumbledore says it, that it takes more courage to stand up to your friends than to your enemies. So Neville may not be, you know, quintessential archetype of daring, courage, and bravery, but it's it's in there. It's It's part of his makeup, even if it shows up in unexpected ways.
6: Yeah. I uh, mentioned in last episode that, I mean, I kind of had a theory. It probably has, uh, I mean, it, it probably is going to amount to nothing, but, I mean, here it goes. I, I was thinking, uh, I remember Dumbledore at the end of this book, he was talking about, or maybe it wasn't, it's not the end of this book, but at some point he's talking about you made a choice. Um, you didn't want, you know. Harry's scared that he is like uh, Voldemort, and he's like Slytherin. He's like, well, you made a choice. You, you, I mean, nobody with a true Gryffindor could could have pulled the sword from the hat. Um, and with that, I was just thinking about choices, and I was thinking about the previous chapter where somehow uh, these four, I guess you could say, Ron, uh, Hermione, um, Harry, and Neville. Harry and Neville. Thank you. Uh, you know they they all I mean we're kind of gravitating toward uh, each other they all were in the same boat Uh, and when I looked at you know the the definition I guess quote-unquote definitions that the the sorting hat kind of gave I thought you know uh, Neville kind of I mean no offense was in Hufflepuff you know I mean Harry maybe he's a Gryffindor I thought Maybe, you know, you you said uh, Ron, maybe Slytherin or, uh, I mean, his his family is Gryffindor, so he's probably going to be put in Gryffindor. But then I thought Hermione definitely Ravenclaw. And I was thinking from the first, some of the first lines that he said um, in in the beginning of the song, uh, there's nothing hidden in your head. The sorting hat can't see. So try me on and I will tell you where you ought to be. And I was thinking maybe in that, Those moments, you know, where you know Harry made a choice that he didn't want to hang out with the Draco Malfoy. He made he made the choice. Maybe the Sorting Hat saw them. They made the choice together even before they got to the Sorting Hat. That they all somehow belonged to one another. That was Mm kind of my. I mean, and again, maybe it has nothing. You know, I mean, it's. No weight to it, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Maybe the four of them
1: together, like, pull out the bravery and the others. That's, that's what I was
6: kind of thinking was, you know, somehow together, you know, I was thinking, like, there's no way on the surface, at least, you know, you're going to see, uh, I mean, right. uh, Neville and Gryffindor. And I'm thinking, Hermione's definitely a Ravenclaw. Like, how did she get in Gryffindor? She doesn't have um, chivalry, yeah. like, politeness. Yeah, she doesn't. Right. And, and I'm thinking, she, I mean, a, a, out of all the examples, Hermione should have been Ravenclaw, but why is she not? Um... And I'm thinking maybe it could have been the encounter on the train, the, the meeting. But I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, you wonder you know, what's going on with the hat on, yeah. in everybody else's head. Because in the movie, he's talking out loud. But no, in, mm-hmm. the, in the book, it's just in Harry's head. He hears the voice at the hat, you know, having this conversation with him. And he thinks, not Slytherin, not Slytherin.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and then you see, like, uh, Seamus sits on the stool for like a full minute. Mm-hmm. Having some kind of internal battle with the hat. And so you wonder, you know, like, what what happened with everybody? You know, like, I want to hear the internal monologue for everybody's sorting. You know, what happened with Hermione? And, like, with Draco, obviously. <laughs> like, it hardly touches his head. And it's like, Slytherin, I can feel it coming <laughs> off of you. Yeah. Um, but with the other kids, you do wonder, you know, was there a choice made like there was with Harry? Well, that brings you, me, into this
5: question I've never thought about of, like, the hat's role in the defeat of Voldemort. Because the hat's getting insider knowledge of everyone and mm-hmm. he puts these people together um, yeah. that were together on the boat and what is it that he, he you know the prophecy and Neville and I mean yeah. there's just a whole lot going on there that
0: the hat might mm-hmm. have yeah. been critical the hat is the puppet master I mean forget <laughs> Albus Dumbledore Godric Gryffindor sorting hat. working from
4: behind the uh-huh. scenes uh-huh. this whole time you never know it's pretty cool. Maybe we, he's, the he's, battle is still continuing between Slytherin and, and Gryffindor.
6: With his song, I don't know. I feel like mm-hmm. he's kind of the hat's playing the fool, but he's you know, he's that wise man mm-hmm. underneath. Um, where he puts the three, you know, if they didn't, if they weren't in the same house, obviously they wouldn't have been as close. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even a trio. Maybe Voldemort's not defeated. Who knows? Mm-hmm. The
4: Sorting Hat can see what they can't.
3: Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about Hufflepuffs?
4: Let's. Sure. Unless people want to identify themselves as Gryffindors now. Let's, talk, we... yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about Hufflepuff, them Hufflepuff first.
3: let's talk about Okay. You might belong in Hufflepuff where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Which are all great traits, and not at all the traits of duffers.
6: It is that's but, right. But it's again one of these. It's it's a name, you know, Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's
3: Yep. it's <laughs> a cute it's little. True. I think of the video. And it, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff.
6: Yeah, it's it's really the name, and I mean, I think
4: badgers, though, while they're cute, are not are very aggressive. Yeah. Not just like mm-hmm. you can you can't just go up and pet a badger. Yeah. Especially
5: not a honey badger. Ooh. Oh, no.
4: <laughs> See YouTube for more information. But,
6: I mean, of course, you have got Cedric Diggory. You know, he's kind of the. the I mean, he was a Hufflepuff in yeah. and, and the Goblet of Fire, so. He's kind of the. He's, he's uh, a star. Like, I mean, it's not like Hufflepuffs can't be stars. H- here's the thing though,
0: in, in a lot of the early parts of the book, we hear opinions yeah. about others. Yeah. Whether it's. Wizards talking about muggles, muggles talking about wizards, Malfoy talking about other families, or people talking about Hufflepuffs. And it seems like in every instance we're supposed to think they're wrong. But we let the duffy old Hufflepuff uh, idea stick. Even though there's really, I mean there's nothing in the entire canon, except for that first statement about Hufflepuffs and the sound of their names. I mean, yeah. Hufflepuff. I mean, there's nothing else that would lead us to believe that these are incapable wizards um, in, in any regard. Because yeah. I mean, Neville, who would
5: be the worst in the class, is in Gryffindor, you know? Mm-hmm and Luna who's like kind of weird is there, I mean the weirdos aren't even in Hufflepuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true. But also the fact that we were like <laughs> Hufflepuff that. no offense it's like yeah. that's how deeply ingrained yeah. I know. in and it's not just the people sitting around this table I, I'm sure it's our our listeners and the wider Harry Potter fan base this is something that even if you want to believe the best about Hufflepuff I know my instinct is to think uh, sort of empty-headed, you know, floating around in the clouds. I, I honestly, I think of Luna Lovegood right. when I think Hufflepuff, mm-hmm. which Even though she's not. makes no sense because yeah. <laughs> she's not Hufflepuff. She's not a Hufflepuff.
3: Yeah, I, think it's, I was just thinking about the house ghosts and how they kind of embody the different traits. because we meet, so we meet the Fat Friar, and we've met nearly headless Nick, and so the Fat Friar is the Hufflepuff ghost. And so, and when they, when they show up, they're having this conversation about peeves and whether or not they should give him leniency or whatever. And Fat Friar, Fat Friar is going the pacifist route mm-hmm. and he's a clergyman. And so you kind of get this sense of like, he's kind, he's maybe a little weak-willed and he's like pacifist. And then like with nearly headless Nick, like, uh, you know, oh no, you know, he's not even a ghost. You know, we have to, we have to be firm on this. And then we see, like, oh, he was decapitated, but not all the way. So he's, like, cool and interesting. And then we meet the Bloody Baron, who's the mm-hmm. Slytherin ghost. And he is, like, creepy as all get out. Like, he's covered in <laughs> silver bloodstains. Mm-hmm. And he's got these haunted eyes. And you're, like, I don't know what he did. And I am terrified to ask him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the Grey Lady is, mm-hmm. like, this beautiful, like, mysterious character who's, you know, like, we hear we almost nothing about the Grey Lady until she the very to the end. Dinner, does she? No, she doesn't yeah, show up I didn't very think much. So. Yeah. But, you know, that's that mystique that Ravenclaw has, that that, you know, the mystery mm. and the and the beauty and the knowledge. And so, I think even the ghosts just kind of like personify the houses mm. really well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. But I one thing I will say about Helga Hufflepuff, and I think it's in the fourth book, Sorting Hat song. She, Helga Hufflepuff says like I'll teach the lot and teach yeah. them all the same. So she, when they say like that, Hufflepuffs are just still loyal to me. That's the characteristic that sticks out because when she said what she valued about her particular house, it was I, I don't. I'll teach them all the same. It doesn't matter to me. So it was like an equal opportunity sort of house, and I liked that. Right.
6: So Ravenclaw, or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've a ready mind. Where those of wit and learning will always find the very kind. What is there to say about them?
1: I feel like Ravenclaw's, like, their their kind of negative stereotype is, like, that they're maybe a little snooty or know-it-all-ish. I mean, Hermione, we just, I mean, though she's sure a Gryffindor, um, I mean, we kind of identify her as someone who probably should have been Ravenclaw um, on the surface. And she's a know-it-all, though <laughs> so we love her. I mean, she's a know-it-all. But even the Ravenclaw, like the people who are in Ravenclaw, they're always pictured as sort of like turning their nose up at the other characters. Mm
5: -hmm. We don't meet a whole lot, though. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. Cho, and there's Luna. And off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you another Ravenclaw name. Unless we want to look like...
2: Terry Booth. Terry (laughs) So
1: Yeah. um, But it's like the group of Ravenclaws over there were Mm -hmm. you know standing off on their own so it's just sort of like when they're described it's like well we don't know them because like they're they're a pack they stick together and they don't really intermingle Mm -hmm. they might also be
5: less social because they just are like in their own little world like in a not a bad way but just like a you know you think of she's just reading and she's so engaged with learning Mm -hmm. that it's not like you know ernie mcmillan who's having all these interactions with the gryffindors (laughs) maybe they're just kind of often researching
4: and reading. But also, like, the setup of where they are, I don't know. I feel like uh, we, we see Gryffindor Tower a lot, so we don't think of it as isolated. But I always felt like the passage to get to the um, the Ravenclaw Tower was in some ways even more difficult, because they, they couldn't just get, like, a password from other friends and, like, figure out how to get in, right? Like, every time you wanted to get to bed, you had to do a trivia question. Uh-huh. You know, you, or like solve a riddle or, or solve a riddle. And yeah. These were they, they were complicated. Like yeah. this was not super easy. And if you were really tired at the end of a late night of studying, <laughs> like you may find yourself sleeping on the yeah. on the on the floor outside because you weren't witty enough uh-huh. to get to bed. And that would be um, embarrassing.
5: I mean, there could yeah. some be some social awful. shaming there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you couldn't, you know,
4: mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, So anyway, and then uh, in contrast to that, uh, you know, uh, the Slytherins, they're sort of off, you know, when you go off the dungeon, that sort of is intimidating in that way, whereas I feel like the physical setup of Hufflepuff is, like, purposefully non-intimidating. Like, it's right next to the kitchens, there's all these big fires, it's very cozy, like... You get all the smell of the warm baking bread every morning coming from the kitchens into your into your room. Like this is not a place where you're like, I don't know. I feel like everybody feels at home in a place that smells like warm baking bread, or maybe that's just me. No, yeah. no,
3: that's everyone.
4: So last one is, um, or perhaps in Slytherin you'll make your real friends, those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. I think it's very interesting that the first thing that they say about Slytherins is that they'll meet their real friends when their whole thing is about, like, using people to achieve whatever (laughs) end they want, as though maybe they won't do it to their own kind. We know they do, though, Mm -hmm. and they do that a lot. So is, like, is 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 Gryffindor's hat, like, making a jab yeah, at Slytherin. Like a tongue-in-cheek. A tongue-in-cheek. Sort of <laughs> um, oh, you'll make friends there before they stab you in the face. Right.
0: Hmm. Not even the back of the face. No, no, no. Uh, right no, at, no, I mean, no, that's no. why... When, like,
6: when <laughs> we get this, I mean, is there any question in anyone's mind that, like, there's like nothing good there. I mean does anything sound good about Slytherin to anyone other than maybe they're cunning? Yeah, not in this I mean, one. I, I, I don't no, at, cunning, still not, some, some not time, a good word. Yeah, yeah. still not
3: good. Yeah. I mean sometimes the hat, it, it's a little more favorable to talk about yeah, ambition like or yeah. they'll talk about, I don't know, there's other words that sometimes they use for Slytherin that are a little more favorable. But yeah, like cunning and using <laughs> any means is not not real favorable.
5: I think of Slughorn as kind of a interesting study of um, mm-hmm. a Slytherin because I guess the ambition, you know, he's ambitious with all these, to collect these friends. Yeah. He's um, a networker. Yeah. yeah. So so he, I mean, he's a quintessential Slytherin who isn't evil. Yeah.
0: And yet he easily becomes a pawn of evil. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Which is and he's, something he's a coward. that we see... I think frequently in Slytherin, particularly when the Dark Lord rises again and Death Eaters come back cowering in fear and shame. And Voldemort says, you didn't come back out of conviction. Translation, just like you said, you're not evil. You're just easily manipulated. And you will side with evil if you think it serves your ends. And I think that's really interesting. Slughorn is a great... um, case study, I think you're right, because he does bring that out. Um, this, this notion that ambition looks like it makes you powerful, but out of control, it makes you incredibly weak. Um, because you, you per personally become fragile and you become a pawn, um, in the, in the hands of anybody who happens mm-hmm. to offer what it is you're after. That's
5: why I'm surprised Percy isn't a Slytherin. But I guess his true nature comes back. But I feel like he he's is ruthless. Yeah. I mean, but he cuts everything off to achieve his means. He's a pawn. You know, he thinks he's pursuing power, but he's really kind of just this silly, you know, like people don't see him as as valuable as he thinks himself. But I, again, I guess if we go back to aspiration and true nature and and all that, he comes back.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it... I have heard uh, Rowling say that the essence of Slytherin is not bad. Like, it is possible to be a good Slytherin. But listening to the initial descriptions, it's hard to see how. I mean, we're told there wasn't a wizard who turned bad that wasn't in Slytherin. Uh, We're told just looking at them from the outside, the ethos, the atmosphere is almost tangible. They don't look like a good lot. And the Sorting Hats uh, song, even the positive language of cunning isn't positive. and then this notion of real friends, we're left wondering, is that actually, you know, intentionally ironic? Because that's not what you're going to find there. So, you know, I know Rowling wants to defend, and she has defended the idea that um, Slytherin isn't all bad. Uh, but I think it's hard to come away from this concluding anything else than what defines a Slytherin at least makes you extremely susceptible to some profound weaknesses. Of course, we could say that with any of these houses. In fact, Mm -hmm. we've touched on it, that there's a dark side to each of these virtues when they go overboard. But Slytherins, because they're after um, power, because they'll use any means to achieve their ends, um, the temptations are particularly strong.
4: Yeah, it's it's like they already have two pieces of the dark triad of psychopathology, narcissism and machiavellianism. Like they're all we already see right at the beginning that they're machiavellian and we already see that they're a bit psychopathological in their tendency to use any means to achieve their end. The 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 key difference is like how narcissistic are they? Like are they just self-obsessed to achieve Themselves, whatever goal they want, like uh, Lord Voldemort, or do they like sometimes helping others, like Slughorn, who likes to make connections between his friends and likes to help other people achieve you know more of their goals too? We can all cooperate in a slughorn world um, hmm. in a voldemort world you 're all just pawns for me to do better
1: i think it 's interesting, I think until like this moment i 've always taken that that sentence that I think Ron says, like, there's not a wizard, maybe it was Hagrid, there's not a wizard who went bad that wasn't in Slytherin. I've always taken that at face value, to mean, like, every single bad wizard (laughs) was in Slytherin. But we know that's not true, because Igor Karkaroff was at Durmstrang, and Slytherin's not a part of Durmstrang. So, like, until this moment, like, I feel like maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration to say every single wizard that went bad was Mm -hmm. in Slytherin. Like, it's just an overstatement. And and surely all of the, surely another one of these houses produced at least one bad wizard. Surely.
5: I, I feel like I interpret it as just from people at Hogwarts. Yeah. Like he wasn't he was just saying at Hogwarts within the four
4: houses. And then there's Peter but Pettigrew. It, hey.
5: But, but nobody know knows about him. about him.
4: No, no, nobody knows but about it. But that's we a good know. Point. Yeah, mm. we do know. Hmm.
5: That's a, that's an interesting. I mean, maybe vibe.
6: he's just meaning it as just you know years, one of those maybe in recent
5: history or something. Yeah,
6: like one of those generalized you know like well every you know everybody that went
4: bad they were in Slytherin. I think they're saying the went bad like with specific reference to Voldemort mm-hmm. and this particular, mm-hmm. and not not all the bad wizards that have ever come out of Hogwarts or all the bad instances, just with this thing.
0: Well, yeah. yeah well, we also know it's tr- not true because. Even though nobody knows about Peter yet, everybody thinks they know about Ceres. Ceres right? Yeah. True. Who so it, it may be a, a exaggerating, capturing uh, this larger sense, you know, that the vast majority of folks were in Slytherin. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think I think we're, we're right to point out that um, Hagrid's um, statement is not... All the way true. It's not totally accurate. That's helpful. Still don't like them. Throw that out there. (laughs) Sure.
4: All right. So now that we've gone through them all, are we going to talk about?
0: Yeah. Okay. You start, Trevor. I am a Ravenclaw.
3: Surprise.
0: What? Although the newest iteration of Pottermore told me that I was a Gryffindor. Did it. In which case, I wrote a very sternly worded letter via <laughs> scroll. Attached it to a, an owl and sent it out my window.
2: <laughs>
0: well, how you managed clearly was an error. Owl. Your true
5: nature has changed. A, well,
0: it hasn't. Has anybody <laughs>
3: taken like the the one where it shows you which two houses like where it gives you the hybrid of what you would be?
6: No, I, I think I've done you're something. You're strongest. Like, I think I've done something like that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I have a real problem with the new Potter though. Mm-hmm. If, if if it classifies me as Gryffindor, if not a If it calls you thing.
1: Gryffindor, then I don't think any of yeah. us would actually find out what we really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Sounds glitchy to me. Because you're as Ravenclaws. Terrible even. inaccuracy here. And, and
5: he is because he loves to learn the, just
0: to learn not for other means you know yeah. but mm-hmm. for the record like it truly bothered me like I remember going to some of you guys and telling you you will not believe what happened <laughs> <laughs> it was like an identity crisis Pottermore told me that I'm in Gryffindor no I've, I've just I've staked my claim with Ravenclaw and I'm staying there
1: Alex
4: um, I actually gave this, this very little thought before um, my younger sister came to stay with us and she is a very adamant Hufflepuff with a Hufflepuff mug, and I remember asking her one morning what she thought. She was like, well, of course you're Hufflepuff. I mean, of course. Look at you, look at everything about you. Look how you talk, look how you walk, look at how often you have people over, look how much you love food. I mean, you would have gone straight into that room, the Sorting Hat would have been put on your head, and the first 55 thoughts that would have come to your mind that the Sorting Hat would have read would have all been related to what you smelled and what you saw in that room and how hungry you were you'd have been sorted into Hufflepuff immediately. <laughs> um, once I learned how close the dormitory was to the kitchens, I, I was yeah, I was sold <laughs> immediately.
3: And you took the test, and so you got Hufflepuff. Yeah, and that's also it true. It was accurate. Uh,
6: when I took the test, I, I've taken it a few times, and most often I've gotten Gryffindor. But I thought when I first took it, I was, the answers I was choosing, I thought I was actually going to get Ravenclaw. I've gotten Ravenclaw one time, but I did do that you know, the hybrid hybrid thing and I'm pretty close to Ravenclaw and uh, Gryffindor, um, most often than not. So that's me.
1: Well this is Crystal and I'm most certainly Ravenclaw I was obsessed with Hermione when I was 11 and I still am obsessed with her and I've just learned to love learning because of her and I'll stake my claim in Ravenclaw as well (laughs)
3: Uh, this is Vera. I so I don't know. I used to get Gryffindor all the time and I was like, I think that's fairly accurate. But then I got Ravenclaw, I've been getting Ravenclaw a lot lately. And I can also see that and so I don't know. When I took the hybrid it said Ravendor, so slightly more Ravenclaw mm. than Gryffindor. Yeah. So So I'm, if
0: the sorting hat listened to your thoughts and where you desired to be
3: I would probably be in Gryffindor. Okay, here
0: we go.
3: But I I also like the traits of Ravenclaw. and would be very happy there, so I
0: don't know.
5: Well, I'm Sylvia, and I only took the test once and was Ravenclaw. But I will throw this out there. Um, I took a personality assessment recently, and it's like dividing you into four core things. And my top um, value is power. Um, and as I've been thinking about it, I actually think that's pretty accurate that a lot of, I'm very like results and action oriented and like, I think power is an underlying motivator, um, using power for good, but trying to, again, to use power to create a positive result. So I would not be surprised if there's, if I'm a Slytherin hybrid, um, because I feel like there's, even though it doesn't go into it here, don't you think the love of power is a Slytherin thing? And sort of like we said, Slughorn can use that for good. Um, however, according to my results, which was a couple years ago, I've not done anything recently. I was a Ravenclaw, so I'll, I would prefer that. But but I think full transparency, I, there could be some Slytherin in there. Sorry, this is the sorry, first time husband. <laughs> it. This is like the past couple days. Something I've been thinking about is like, what is this thing? And how power And I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so full full disclosure. Mm. Have fun. <laughs> we'll talk offline.
0: Raising children together. <laughs> well, if we if we want to move on, Albus Dumbledore uh, gets to his feet. Uh, he was beaming at the <laughs> students. His arms opened wide as if nothing could have pleased him more. Than to see them all there uh here i was just struck that uh dumbledore's affection for the students immediately causes us to feel a great affection and affinity back toward him and then of course he's about to say something i would like to say a few words and here they are nitwit blubber oddment tweak thank thank you, you. <laughs> and and here the the juxtaposition of Dumbledore's gravitas with his silliness, it's, like, so surprising, so unexpected, but totally endearing. Mm-hmm. We're like, here's a guy that we can have fun with as readers. Uh, and I, I certainly think that proves to be the case.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, too, like, he's so... He, he kind of gives off this air of, like, nobility or um, so many people, like, look up to him and respect him. And every interaction, especially that Harry has had so far with or about Dumbledore, has been, like, all of these accomplishments. He's somebody that can come off very um, unapproachable. So the idea that he's somebody who stands up and like welcomes them, like he's so happy and says these like ridiculous words, these ridiculous words, it just makes him more lovable as a character. It makes Mm -hmm. him somebody that they, like you said, can have fun with, but it's somebody who's not so intimidating. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Right. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like he does it purposely because he recognizes that in him that he could possibly, you know, be standoffish to these students. and. I mean, he knows several of them by name, and he is so lovable, and I, I like that about his Well, character.
0: we said all the way back in our inaugural episode that even on that first night when we meet Dumbledore, he uses humor to diffuse a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think yeah, that's, that's totally on point, mm-hmm. what you're saying.
1: And he's a bit mad, <laughs> yeah. according to Percy. I like
0: that
3: is he is he mad I'm mad he's a genius he's the best wizard in the world mm-hmm. but he is a bit mad yes it's like not mutually exclusive They could no, be both and <laughs>
6: it's it is funny that percy i mean with the point you just made um you know obviously almost idolizes him i mean he's a genius and percy takes himself too seriously you know and fred and george try to defuse you know mm-hmm. and like make fun of him because he's taking himself so seriously about being a prefect and and all that. So it is interesting with that point that you made that Percy's the first uh, voice, or, you know, Harry's asking, you know, like, hey, is he mad? And Percy, of course, answers,
1: but he loves him. And then the food comes. Mm-hmm. And we finally see Harry, like, getting full on food. Yeah. And it's like this, it's this idea of, like, safety at home again. Like, this is now he's like sorted into this house so it's like something he didn't have at the Dursleys he did have the house but he didn't have this like love and care and food and warmth and welcome and now he's got this like hospitable environment that's he turns around and the table is just like filled to the brim with food and he eats his fill which is something I mean we hear him say like you know the Dursleys never starved him but he's never had this kind of food and everything he ever had was like if if he really wanted it Dudley ate it so this is the first time he's actually like He has that security, like because food does offer Mm -hmm. security, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like steak and potatoes and like these delicious foods. Yeah,
0: I find it interesting to overhear the conversation that takes place uh, over dessert, in particular, with Seamus saying, "I'm half and half," Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, it's conversation about blood status. It comes up. Literally over trifle, strawberries, jello, rice pudding, and treacle tart. Um, blood status is so central a concept in wizarding culture mm-hmm. that it is a normal part of conversation. And as you are getting to know someone,
4: yeah,
0: yeah, what's your blood status? Yeah. What about you, Neville? And that's where we get you know the hilarious story of Neville. And yet again, humor almost diverts our attention from. What is this driving concern in wizarding society? Which is, what kind of blood runs in your veins? Um, looking at it now again, with with the book club, um, and having having read through it multiple times, it's obvious how central blood status is. But I remember first time through, uh, and I know I've said this before, but it took a long time to realize that the really a driving factor in separating uh, the, the, the wizarding world in dividing uh, amongst witches and wizards was heritage lineage. Um.
1: And I think it's like, even though they're declaring themselves like what they are, we kind of see like that family origins and like your, your blood status it doesn't really determine your social status unless you're identifying with that particular group of people and what they what they hold dear. So like the Malfoy's, we know they're purebloods but so is Neville's family mm-hmm. and so is so is Ron's family. But unless you're like holding on to those mm-hmm. beliefs as like something that you also value, you're you're a social outcast. Mm-hmm. And it also it doesn't necessarily mean wealth either. Because like when we think of like pure blood in this society, like at least for me with the way Malfoy the way the Malfoys talk about pure blood, it's like you have money, you can get ahead because you can like donate things to the ministry and get all these awards for just simply donating money. But if you if you don't do those things, then you know, not only are you like a social outcast, but it also doesn't guarantee you have any kind of wealth. Like the Weasleys, later they say like Ar- Arthur could have had a new job or a new position, he could have gotten promotion. But it's his love of like Muggle things mm. and his acceptance of Muggle things that kept him from being. Promoted.
6: Mm-hmm. We get our first glimpse really of Snape, mm-hmm. um, and also the, I guess the first time we're hearing, you know, or we're seeing that Harry's scar hurts him mm-hmm. because of the look of Snape, so we think. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's very interesting that she drops that little nugget, like those little clues that it's actually Quirrell, because she says, like, he looks past, like, Snape looks past Quirrell's turban, and we don't even think it because, like, Snape's appearance immediately makes us go biased against him, against him, and we're like, you know, he asks Percy, and we find out he's, like, the head of Slytherin, so it's like, we associate him with evil, and we overlook that little nugget that it was actually, like, looking past Quirrell's turban.
0: And what's interesting is, in the movie, this is captured. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for it, you see it. What's interesting, though, is... She does not describe their body positions. She leaves it to the imagination. Snape looks past the turban into Harry's eyes, which tells us that Quirrell's back is to Harry and that the back of his head mm-hmm. is pointed that way. Yeah. She, she doesn't broadcast that, but the details that she gives us are consistent with that, that positioning um, mm-hmm. and that conclusion. Right. Yeah. Well, Dumbledore stands up to talk again and uh, says, Finally, I must tell you that this year the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. (laughs) Uh, We, of course, know that this is related to Hagrid's business at Gringotts, the attempted robbery. Uh, We'll dive very deeply into that part of the castle. My immediate question is... Is this really a necessary risk for Dumbledore in order to protect uh, the Sorcerer's Stone from falling into the wrong hands? I mean, to put it into an easily traversed part of the, the castle and basically just offering sort of a verbal warning. Hey, students, stay away or you'll die. Um, that seems risky to the students, but also to, to Dumbledore's own purposes. Yeah. Not as secure a place as I'm sure the headmaster pocket. of Hogwarts could have come up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: I feel like him even saying that, you know, Fred and George probably have to be thinking, what's there? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, we don't really have to go in there. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe if we can just... Get past, you know, and at least look in the door and just see, you know, and it it just feels like that's just an open invitation for any troublemaker yeah. to to come well, into the for door. For
0: for a castle with so many secrets, mm-hmm. right? so many secrets that even Dumbledore knows he hasn't plumbed the depths of them. Surely, there's a more private place than where where it ends up being hidden. Yeah,
1: and he tells them where it's at. Like, right. don't right. go right there where it's <laughs> at. Where yeah. it's hidden.
0: Don't think of a zebra.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, you exactly. just did. Sorry. Like yeah. Yeah. Hey, Don't go over here. Oh. Right. Oh, now you're t- like now you're, you're somebody's bound to.
4: If only he had been thinking about needing a place to hide something as he walked down the, uh-huh. the fifth floor corridor, mm-hmm. then Dumbledore would have had a great answer for your rock and roll, but <laughs> oh
1: well well it kind of ties into the last chapter where harry or ron asks harry like do you think he meant for you to go after the stone and harry's like i think he wanted me to have that shot so you almost think like is is he letting somebody go for that shot like by telling them where it's at because dumbledore has done stranger things like leaving harry in house where he's being neglected and not Mm -hmm. telling them straight out
5: we can go maybe go into this in a future podcast episode because I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. But the idea of Dumbledore knows the prophecy, so he's okay to put Harry in perilous situations, knowing that, like, it's right. going to work out to where they're going to have to face off, and so might as well give him opportunities to practice. Um, yeah. But that I think that's a rabbit hole yeah. that I'm honestly we should we should yeah. table.
0: Yeah. Well, an- another rabbit hole clearly Dumbledore says don't go on this third floor corridor but we get halfway through the book and the Mirror of Erised is still in its normal position and Harry's able to access it which suggests at least to me you know it's clearly not under all of the security concealing the Sorcerer's Stone um, so Dumbledore announces you know, danger, danger, and yet halfway through the book, it's not, protected. not everything is in place. It's being hidden somewhere. It just raises interesting questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Singing the school song, <laughs> Harry notices the other teacher's smiles become rather fixed. fixed. I like that. That's a, a, a great detail, and you just imagine how many times have they had to sit through this.
6: <laughs> and I just think, I know we've Kind of talked about it a little bit, but that this song, um, you know, for a a school with such heritage and prestige tied to its name, you would think that there would be a a more hallowed song than than this. I, I don't know that just and singing, I mean, not only that, but the singing of different tunes, finishing at different
4: times. I mean, is it really one song if it's just the same lyrics, but they're totally different melodies?
6: I mean, I guess it is to each individual person. It's just one big noise, or at least I think that's what it sounds like, like It's everyone. like a
5: poem. a poem. Yeah, make up your own uh, rhythm.
6: And then, not only that, but after they're done, I mean, Dumbledore says, ah, music wiping his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a magic beyond all that we do here, you know? I think
1: that's so endearing of him, though, because, like, all the teachers are, you know, they've got those fixed smiles, and they're like, not again, we have to listen to this. But Dumbledore is, like, moved by it, like, all of these different voices singing and all of these different tunes, like, that they all made up or, you know, picked their favorite of. And I think it just goes back to just, like, Dumbledore's characters. He's so... Appreciative and like he loves the position he's in. Yeah. He might. Oh, sorry.
3: Oh, and even like, even like the Weasleys that are clearly like they picked a slow funeral march so that they would be last so that they would get attention and they're being goofy and he conducts their last few lines with mm-hmm. his wand like he's like even playing along with the goof offs.
2: Yeah. I
3: I do wonder if he's a
5: little bit more emotional because Harry is there. You know that could have affected his. Uh, tendency towards crying because it's pretty uh, emotional he's last saw him as a baby and then he's here and he's looking out among you know he's probably excited that harry's been put in gryffindor and it's like okay this course that's going to be a long journey for this kid is beginning and here he is this innocent little kid i mean there's a lot of thoughts that could be going through his mind to make him emotional
6: yeah, yeah. I, I and like, he can
5: play it off as oh, so, you know, it's a yeah. song. In, but.
6: in the movie, you know, they definitely show him when like he's being sorted. You know, like everybody's interested what house Harry's going to be mm-hmm. in. But you know, you even see Dumbledore kind of lean forward a little bit, though, so mm-hmm. you can tell he's interested. Here, you don't really get that in this chapter. I mean, mm-hmm. like he's excited for all the students, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily toward Harry. Mm-hmm. Even though we do have to infer that he does care about Harry greatly, and he's mm-hmm. thinking, you know. Harry, Harry's got to be in his mind here. You're right.
3: So then we meet Peeves on the way mm. to Gryffindor Tower, and I, why, why is he holding walking sticks? To throw them. <laughs> <laughs> the first
0: Where tears. did he get them? But yeah,
3: why are there walk? Why are there a whole bunch of walking
0: sticks? At all? <laughs> you have to wonder if Rowling had like this amazing story behind that. Yeah, and she just I'm so specific kept it for herself.
3: You know, it's just <laughs> interesting. I wonder why that.
5: Part of me wonders if it's a throwback to like the British school system when there would be canes to hit people with, mm-hmm. like, the and so there's this sick. association with school and sticks for discipline. Mm-hmm. And who knows if back in the day at Hogwarts they used to use them? You never know. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. seems like kind of a schoolish kind of thing, at least for like a prep school
0: well as we get up to the portrait of the fat lady the password is caput draconis uh, dragon head and I racked my brain over any yeah. significance for that came up with very little I couldn't think I that. think it's just a fun sounding Latin phrase
2: yeah mm, probably
4: Yeah, I can't think of anything either. Well, the draconis is in the school motto, right? On the school the crest. Um, uh, what was it? Don't tickle a sleeping dragon. Yes. Well, I was trying to think of Latin, but maybe I, guess, think I right.
1: tickle titillanus something dormant, something close to that.
6: Yeah,
0: <laughs> you got it.
1: Yes, nailed it.
0: Well, Harry goes to sleep, yeah. and we hear of his strange Super dream. A weird dream. Um, and I was pulled in a, in two different directions. In one sense, I wanted to read the details of the dream, particularly wearing Quirrell's turban, which is talking to him, telling him he must transfer to Slytherin at once because it was his destiny. Knowing what we know about what is concealed under Quirrell's turban, I, I'm left wondering, is... Are we, to, are we to assume that something real is happening here? Like Voldemort is somehow communicating with Harry in his dream? Wouldn't be unprecedented in, in the stories. Or are these simply Harry's fears taking on odd forms and shapes and you know, turning into all sorts of different scary things in the course of this dream?
1: I feel like even though dreams are super significant, especially later um, down the road in the later books, I felt like this was particularly because Harry just like rolls over and doesn't remember it in the morning. I felt like this was just one of those dreams that it's just foreshadowing. It's just some sort of literary device she's using. Like he has this crazy dream, which isn't out of the ordinary because he did see Quirrell wearing that turban, and he did have you know the the, sorting hat. Right, he did have all of these things happen to him today, and we often dream about what we what happened to us in that day, whatever day. Um, I felt like this was just a really clever way to foreshadow what's coming. Mm-hmm. I don't... I mean, it not Without it be... the
0: details being true. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm sitting there saying, well, does this, is this like a symbolic um, representation of Voldemort telling Harry to go to Slytherin because it's his destiny? But, of course, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because... We know that that's not his destiny. We know the prophecy, as those who have you know read through uh, the unfolding stories. Uh, so the details wouldn't necessarily line up, and there's no reason why, at least on the face of it, Voldemort would desire um, Harry to be in right. Slytherin House.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, friends... I think that brings us to the close of another chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Remember, you can reach out to us uh, with comments and questions at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. And next time, we'll come together reading Chapter 8, The Potions Master. We hope that you will join us again for another edition of the Harry Potter Book Club. Bye. Bye! Bye!
6: I
4: want Ha, see to something please with
5: We be
6: all right. rest and just do your best. We'll do right. the rest <laughs> and learn until our all <laughs> all right. Can we please listen to that yes. real
3: quick?
2: I'm completely I'm lost so tired.